As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey y'all, thanks for listening to Killer Queens, or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Diet True Crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now, with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and True Crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion of murder, rape, dismemberment, child abuse, and mental health issues. Your discretion is advised. In late August 1990, Gainesville, Florida, fell victim to a serial killer. Over the span of less than a week, five college students were brutally murdered in their homes. Police couldn't figure out who was behind the gruesome attacks, and the Gainesville community was absolutely terrified. Doors were triple locked, and roommates were sleeping in shifts. A suspect was jailed, but the DNA didn't match. Meanwhile, a man was jailed in Ocala, Florida, the suspect of multiple armed robberies. Two completely different types of crimes, and no one suspected that the robberies and the murders were committed by the same person. To their surprise, they were wrong, and the man responsible for the Gainesville murders and countless armed robberies was actually already in prison. Unbeknownst to detectives, though, Danny Rowling's murders in Gainesville weren't his first. Rowling had killed before... He'd even entered the state of Florida, annihilating an entire family all before he fearfully was dubbed the Gainesville Ripper. Ugh, okay. So this is a new thing for us. We're finally doing video. So if you're listening on the podcast version, then, you know, hey girl, thanks. And um, if you're watching, hi. Hey. We're finally doing it. We we do want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Madison for writing this one up. She is our script writer this week. And we want to thank Larissa Lindsay, Kylie Noel, and Claire Nichols for requesting this case. Yay! Yay! Hey, you guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. 
We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences in opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Okay. So let us get on into it. Daniel Harold Rowling, who went by Danny, was born on May 26, 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana, to Claudia and James Rowling. Claudia and James married when she was just 19 years old, and then less than a year later, she became pregnant with Danny Rowling. James, who was a police officer, was, to say less than enthusiastic is like understatement of the century. He was right peeved that she basically had the audacity to get pregnant. Yeah, he was cheesed off. And like, I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me, I think it takes two, doesn't it? I'm going to go again with Carrie Washington from Save the Last Dance. You can't crawl on top of yourself and get yourself pregnant. Was that Carrie Washington? Heck yes, it was Carrie Washington. My gosh, I didn't realize You need to rewatch Save the Last Dance. I really do. I love the soundtrack. uh, Who doesn't? It's like one of the top soundtracks of our time, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're yours and mine. Yes. Yes. But um, I also want to say, so there is an episode about this case on uh, World's Most Evil Killers. I love that show so much. I can't even contain it. Um, but what I don't love is this, the phrase, she fell pregnant. I he know, said that I a couple times. I don't Yeah, like I don't like that one either. I know it's a weird kind of like, there has to be a, what we call a containment verb for getting pregnant. Like, I guess they don't want to say she got pregnant, but like, yeah, I don't love she fell pregnant. It's like an, it's like she fell ill, like this, um, illness that she contracted like a disease. Um, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, eh. but I also have heard in some things that I've read, seen of just other people, like she became pregnant and like that almost feels like it just sort of happened. Like 
I just became pregnant. But like, again, Carrie Washington, you, you can't do that to yourself. So I don't know. But yeah, she, however you want to say it. She found herself pregnant is completely fine with me because it doesn't sound like, um, that doesn't, that doesn't give me the feelings like fell pregnant. And I feel like in such an abusive relationship because James was abusive to Claudia for sure. He was abusive to everyone in his family, but I wonder how she felt about being pregnant. It kind of reminds me of the movie, the waitress or waitress where like, she's in this relationship and the last thing she wants is to get pregnant because she feels like that's going to forever stick her with her husband. Like then she'll have no chance of getting out or getting away. Um, so I don't know, but I mean, we don't, we don't exactly know how Claudia felt about it. Um, but he was incredibly violent and abusive to her. And then once the kids came along, he didn't stop there. He was abusive to them as well. Um, apparently the first time he was abusive with Danny was when Danny was just crawling. So he's like just a wee little babe and he's crawling and James didn't like the way he was crawling. So he beat him or kicked him down the hall or like, and kids crawl differently. Like there are, the way they, the way it sounded like Danny was crawling was almost like that little army crawl where you're kind of like dragging yourself. You're not up on, you know, all fours and plenty of kids do that and it's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. but he didn't like it. And I, I kind of feel like James was a, um, he wasn't going to admit that something was wrong or different with his kids. Like they had to be what he deemed normal. And he wasn't going to accept, yeah, imperfect. And he wasn't going to accept anything else. Like, just the way your kid's crawling, are you kidding me? Um, So about a year and a half after Danny Rowling was born, Claudia had another child. Um, And it seemed like James's father took his rage out more on Danny not as much as Kevin on Kevin, but again, he was still abusive to everybody. He often referred to Danny as a mistake or an accident. He would tell him all the time, we did not want you. You were not wanted. And this is one of those things that like, this is not a a spoiler or anything. I mean, we're talking about a serial killer here, somebody who becomes a serial killer. This is something that we talked about in the Eileen Warnos case. You certainly don't give them a pass for anything that they go on to do, but you can certainly see the seeds being planted. And especially, I feel like Eileen Warnos and Danny Rowling, for sure, there are similarities in the sense that everybody they could have had an attachment to, they learned that doesn't get you anywhere. Don't have an attachment to these people. And you're supposed to be able to have that secure attachment with your mother and your father and your, or whoever your parents are, in his case, mother and father, to your siblings, to your um, pets and things like that. So um, I think for him, again, we don't excuse any of his behavior. Many, many, many people who are abused, the vast majority of people who are abused go on to be law-abiding citizens. Like, but you can see where those things 
you know, it's like chipping away little by little by little. And then he just reacts in an unhealthy way to all of it. And we've discussed this before, but it's very much the movie The Cell. Like you can feel very, very sorry and very sad for the child. For the child. But you can also not at all approve or like, uh, you can honestly hate what they do when they're adults. So exactly. Yeah. And it didn't take it, it took literally nothing to upset James, to get him to react in a violent way. He literally one time beat him for not breathing the way he, like he didn't like the way he was breathing. Like, you know, there's just, there, there's nothing that you can do. And that's another thing of like that. I don't know how to be, I don't know who to be because everything I do and everything I am might make him mad, might not. And I don't know what's going to set off this like violent reaction. Um, Claudia would take her two sons and leave her abusive husband, but ultimately return to James each time. Um, you know, and this is the 50s, 60s. This is a different time. This is not, it's certainly never easy to leave an abusive partner, but she probably had no financial means of her own at this point. Like, you know, it was just a time when it was much, much more difficult to leave a marriage, let alone an abusive marriage. But, you know, so that definitely plays into it as well. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. There were many reports of physical and emotional abuse by James uh, towards both of his sons as well as his wife. Uh, Here are a few examples. Um, Some of these are confirmed by other people. Some of these come from Danny. So take that with a grain of salt if you want. Um, Danny says that James slapped him in the face and bullied him when he was trying to teach him to drive because he couldn't use the clutch correctly. However... Danny was in grade school. First of all, you should never attack your child for not learning how to drive properly anyway. Because that's kind of the point of learning. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're going to make some mistakes. But he was in grade school when this happened. Small child. Small child. He shouldn't have been being taught how to drive anyway. Um, One time James was peeved that the boys didn't get a haircut for school. I think it was like before picture day. Um, so he beat them with a belt and shaved their heads. At least Danny's, but I think both. Um, Danny was handcuffed to his brother after they didn't cut the yard the way that their father liked for the grass to be cut. They were thrown to the floor and James kneeled on their chests. And he also, apparently, because he's a cop, right? He 
handcuffed Danny one time and then called his cop friends to come over and arrest him. And when they were like, sure thing, James, like, we'll do whatever you say. Question though, like what happened here? He said, um, he was embarrassing me or I was, I had feelings like he, he felt embarrassed by his son. (laughs) Throw him in jail. Hmm. I mean, it's awful. Um, so as you can imagine, Claudia has got a lot to deal with, right? She's got two kids that are being abused all the time. According to Danny, Claudia is not doing anything to protect them other than the couple times that she left and took them with her, but they always came back. Um, but she suffered an episode of just complete mental collapse at one point. Um, when the, the school had informed her that Danny was going to have to repeat the third grade. Um, and it was due to his significant absences from school. He was, he was absent quite a bit. And I think for her, that was just like the straw on the camel's back kind of thing. Straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. I don't know how bad it is if you just place a straw piece of straw on the camel's back. But Depends on how many straws there already are on there. Don't, well, don't I, you That's know? what I'm saying. That's what I need to know. Like, which piece many, was it? How many? Yeah, and, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. This was the one that broke it. So, mm-hmm. um, so Danny missed a lot of school. But even when he was there, he had a lot of trouble. Um, The school counselors reported that he was, quote, suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. And this got worse as he got older. When he was about 11 years old, um, his mother was committed to a psychiatric ward after cutting her own wrists. After this, uh, Danny started abusing alcohol and drugs. And he's very young. He's very young. Um, he started leaving his house at night. He started kind of wandering around the neighborhood and he would look through neighbors' windows. Um, and at first it was described as innocent. Like it was, you know, he just wanted to see what other families were like in their own homes. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. And And it, it got weird. It got weird. And he started to develop a resentment when he would look in these windows. Like he's looking at other families having dinner together or playing a board game together or something like that, you know? And he is, instead of just being like, wow, I really want that one day. He's like, how come they get it? And I don't, Mm -hmm. it was a resentment. And then when he was 14, a neighbor caught him looking into his daughter's window and reported it to James, his father. Tisk tisk, man. Yeah. But also, that's the worst thing you could do is sit, tell James. I know, exactly. So James did what he always does. He beat Danny pretty significantly. Um, but that didn't stop Danny. He kept doing it. Um, and he earned a reputation as a peeping Tom. So he started to commit small offenses that gradually escalate, which is typical. In 1971, at the age of 16, he got into a physical altercation with his father, and he ended up going to a juvenile detention center for two weeks. After he was released, Danny decided, like, I need to make a change. So he drops out of high school, and he joins the Air Force. And initially, he thrived in this environment. Um, But during this time, you know, he had started abusing alcohol and drugs at 11. He's 16, 17, you know, and then he drops out of school and joins the Air Force. 
this has become full-fledged addiction at this point. So eventually his alcohol addiction led to the use of illicit drugs, and he reportedly used acid more than 100 times, and he was discharged after being enlisted for under a year. So he just... His uh, lifestyle was not compatible with the military at this point. Even though he really didn't have a good history in Shreveport where he was born, that's what he knew, so he went back there. And he started regularly attending church at the nearby United Pentecostal Church, and he met a woman there named O'Mather Lummis. She, I watched some of the court TV, um, the trial. Oh, uh uh-huh. The way that she pronounced it was... Omatha? Omatha. Okay. Because Omather sounds like a last name to me. Mm-hmm. But okay. Yeah. I never yeah. heard it pronounced. I've only read it. So I'll call She's her Omatha. Incredibly soft spoken, though. So I think that's how she pronounced it. <laughs> but okay. Um, so six months later, in September of 74, uh, the two are 19 years old. They get married. In 1975, she. Be, now I'm like questioning how I want to say this. Um, she found herself pregnant with a baby girl and she gave birth to Kylie Danielle that same year. And after this, Rowling starts feeling the pressure of being a husband and a father and a provider and all the things. And they're both so young. They're so young. Yeah. So his drinking increases. He starts using using marijuana Smoking the dube. How many pots do you think he's smoking? At least seven. I can't say. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. So his behavior starts becoming erratic. He stops attending church. He starts disappearing in the middle of the night with no explanation. And one night, Omatha opened the door to two police officers, and they said they were looking for Danny because he had several reports of him peeping into neighbors' windows. Like, he does realize that people recognize him in his neighborhood, right? Like, And I think also maybe he, maybe he didn't know, but um, windows are not one-way mirrors. Mm. Or two, are they called two-way? I don't remember, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just two-way You can see in, but they can also see out. They can see out. They are, they are in fact windows. Sometimes I forget that in my car. I'll be like looking at somebody. I'm like, what are they doing over there? And I'm like, what what are they looking at? Oh, I'm looking at them. That's why they're looking at me. They can see me. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So he had had the cops called on him. And she said that um, James, Danny's father, had offered to pay for counseling for Danny. And she tried to tell him how disappointed she was in him. But Danny just responded with, violence towards his wife. So, and again, oh, go ahead. So sorry. I was just going to say certainly not acceptable in any way, shape or form, but he's mimicking what he knows now. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. So if I was able to interrupt you in peace, I could have said that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that the uh, beginning of your sentence was interrupted by the middle of mine. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. um, okay. okay. For apologizing. Yeah. Um. So after a really bad fight, he held a shotgun to her head and threatened to shoot her. And um, after that, she took the baby and she left. And she never looked back. 
After leaving her abusive husband, Omatha said that Rowling's parents came by to visit her and the baby often and that James would make sure that she had enough money to pay for whatever they needed, which is really weird. I know, to me. even the James offering to pay for Danny to get therapy like that or counseling, excuse me, that's like that's a curveball character trait. Like, I did not see this coming. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know if he just was saying that to say it, or maybe he... I can't... I can only speculate. I don't know. But maybe he had some big change in his life where he is now... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because it... It just... It would seem very weird that he would all of a sudden be kind to this woman. But maybe she was outside of the fold enough that he's still maintaining that facade with her. Yeah, could be. I don't know, but it is weird. Um, And the only time she saw Danny after that, um, he was attacking her new boyfriend. So don't do that. No, don't do that. And kind of tracks. So she's just like, Danny. Um, She filed for divorce in 1997. At this point, Danny is 23 years old, and he was absolutely devastated. I'm sure he didn't see it coming at all. Yeah. Here's the pitch, slow and straight. All you got to do is swing. You're a hero, but he's a zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a little Weezer for (laughs) you. Around the same time, while Danny was working his job at a local bakery, he had an accident with a bread slicer. And um, it cut off part of his finger on his left hand. Yikes. Shortly after that, he was involved in a car accident where he was responsible for the death of a young woman. Things are going downhill. Incredibly. And we do know that he has a pretty severe alcohol issue. So I wonder if he was drinking and driving and that's what caused this accident. Like, I just don't know, but... Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff's going on now. Yeah. So at this point, he's feeling more alone than ever. He's completely crushed that his wife has left him. And he stole James's gun and he went on a spree of armed robberies throughout the entire state of Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama. And he spent the next several years in and out of jail, committing more robberies, um, and reportedly several rapes. In 1989, after having spent a combined total of eight years in prison or jail, he goes back to Shreveport. He was 35 years old and had essentially accomplished nothing. So he starts working at a local restaurant, but in November of 89, he was fired for missing a shift. Now, Danny says that his bosses changed the schedule and they didn't tell him. So he didn't know that he was missing a shift. Right. He was supposed to be off and then didn't look back at it or whatever. And they changed it on him. And he's like, what? I didn't even know I was supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his story. Um, He's very angry about this. He's very um, feels slighted about this, that that like this boss was out to get him or something in the was she, um, Dr. Yardley in the most evil killers? Was she a psycho a forensic psychologist? I forget what her ah, uh, she's something um, like that, I think. Mm-hmm. But she called him a grievance collector. Yes. You know, like he it's even little things. If you did something that he viewed as being slighted or wronged in any way, 
he would put that in his pocket and save it for a later date, you know? Like, well, and it seemed like resentment fueled him. Yes. Yeah. That's the only emotion that seemed readily available to him is anger and resentment. Like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so he screams at his manager. He argues with him about this wasn't my fault. You know, you were wrong about this and all this stuff, all that. So, and he can't let go of this. And so he decides he's got to prove that he's worth something, that he can do something. He can, you know, finish something that he started. So being fired from the restaurant ends up triggering something in Danny. And he is finally going to do, he decides, what he's been fantasizing about for years. Hmm. Yikes. So around that time, Danny had grown infatuated with a 25-year-old department store clerk. Julie Grissom was a part-time worker. Like She worked part-time at Dillard's um, in a local mall while she was studying marketing at Louisiana State University of Shreveport. And she wasn't far from graduating. She was staying at her father's house on Beth Lane in Shreveport in the Southern Hills neighborhood. William Grissom was 55 and a supervisor at AT AT&T. He was close to retirement, something that everybody looks forward to. And one weekend in early November, William's grandson and Julie's nephew, eight-year-old Sean, was visiting. So unbeknownst to Julie, on the evening of Saturday, November 4th, 1989, Danny followed her home. He snuck around the yard, watched Julie inside of the house with her father and Sean, and the back door of the house was unlocked that evening. So Danny goes inside, and he ends up killing all three of them. It's one of those things, like, Obviously, you don't want anybody to be killed, but, like, an eight-year-old kid, man. I know. Could you? I know. Like, there's so many times when, like, if somebody's going to break into somebody's house, if they realize that people are home, they will be like, oh, I'm not going to go to that house. Or, I don't know, it's just, like, eight-year-old child. It's such a heinous act, yeah. Um, And not that Julie should have been targeted, but her dad and her nephew were not the targets. Yeah, she should just not have collateral died. damage to Danny Absol- Rowling. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's so senseless. And like, why? You're infatuated with her, so you want to murder her? Like that? Well, no. yeah, and like, so he's infatuated with her, but the the underlying why is, I'm going to prove to my dad that I can finish something I start. That I'm worth something. Like, maybe finish you why don't you go back to school get your I don't know if he had his GED you know like there are other things that you could do that you could finish to just be like see Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a painting even I'd I'd be happy with a painting sure literally anything literally anything anything other than what he actually did so yeah The following Monday, which was the 6th, Sean's mother tried to contact William and Julie multiple times, but she couldn't get in touch with them. So she called the police around 8.30 a.m. And she told them, you know, I haven't been able to talk to my father-in-law. Sean's supposed to be home that day. And officers called William's neighbors to see if the home was unlocked. At the far end of the driveway, the newspapers from Sunday and Monday were untouched. Lights were on in the home, and the door to the utility room off the garage was unlocked. As soon as they opened that door... The neighbors found a body blocking them from completely opening the door, and they ran out of the house immediately and called the officers. When the police entered the home, they found that the body blocking the laundry room door belonged to William. 
He was slumped against the door, dead from several stab wounds in the back and chest. Sean was found in the family room, lying face down on the floor with one knife wound to the back. And he was stabbed with so much force that the knife had pierced his back and then went through his chest. And one of the, I think it was the, um, he worked at the, um, oh my gosh, like a medical examiner? Or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think he was a medical examiner. Yeah, he said that it was, I mean, unreal force that he used to murder Sean, but that the knife stuck in the floor. It was so, yeah. That's bad. I, I mean, know. that's that's some rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for what? Like, yeah. what are you so mad about that exactly. this is the answer to you? It just doesn't make any sense. Julie was found naked, laying partially on a bed. She had been stabbed three times. And after stabbing Julie to death, Rowling cleaned her body. He put her clothing in the washing machine. And then he placed her in a very provocative position. Yeah, Police be- Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say this is something that he's going to... That becomes his MO. Yeah. Yes. Police believe that the three had been murdered around, like, between 6 and 8 p.m. on Saturday night. And they found no signs of forced entry or robbery. They described the crime scene as neat with only slight signs of a struggle. Officers had several leads throughout the week um, following the murders, but nothing led them to the killer. But evidence led them to believe that Julie had been the intended target. Rowling returned to his life at his parents' house. That's just 10 minutes away from the Grissom's house. Six months later, in May of 1990, 35-year-old Danny got into yet another heated argument with his father reportedly because James had told him to roll his car windows up because it started raining. and You can't this, tell me what to do. Exactly. Yes. They got into such, well, Danny didn't like hearing that apparently. And so they got into a huge fight. Danny pulled a gun on his dad and shot him in the head, but James survived it. He lost an ear and he lost an eye, but he survived. Mm-hmm. He and, shot him in the stomach too. Uh, why? Because I mean- do I feel anything? No. Is it wrong? Well, yes. But listen, Danny has now become a carbon copy of his father by getting so aggressive and angry over the slightest thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, he didn't take it. Uh, James, as far as we know, didn't go on to commit a murder spree or anything like that. But, right. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like those those same behaviors are right there in both of them, and it's just sad. I don't... Yeah, it really what is. What is going on? So then Danny goes and robs a couple for cash, and he said he needed the money. I guess if you tell somebody why you need the money, does that make it okay? Um, yeah, he it robs, actually does. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize It doesn't count as a robbery. needed it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay. If you need it, I mean, you then need sh- it. Sure, yeah. And they'll understand. They you should be like, well, I just need the money. I mean, I, I do have to use a weapon to make you Do give that. me the money. Um, but yeah, that just shows how much I need it. And so <laughs> right. then you're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> by all means. Yeah, exactly. What's mine is yours. Um, yeah, so he was like, look, I really need this money. I have to get to Dallas. And after that, Danny GTFO'd and he finally left his house in Treeport for mm-hmm. the last time. Yep. And so now he's on the run because obviously he has um, shot his dad. So, and his dad can identify him. So, 
That's a problem. So he doesn't go to Dallas. He tricks everybody. He's like, I'm going to tell him I'm going to Dallas. And then he didn't go to Dallas. He went to Tallahassee, (gasps) Florida. Old Red. Old Red was headed south. Yep. He was going nowhere. Yep. So he goes to the Army-Navy store near the bus station. When he gets there, he buys a K-bar, which is a knife. I didn't know that. I thought a K-bar was like... I was saying crowbar. Yeah, like a bar. Like a... Yeah, definitely did not know that was a knife. A lifetime original rod. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yes. So then he goes to Gainesville, Florida, and he set up a tent and a makeshift campsite in the wooded area behind the college. On August 23rd, 1990, he is searching for his next victim. He's gotten a taste of it now. And... He found something he's good at. And that sounds like I'm making a joke, but that's that's what he said. I found something that I'm good at and I got better at it as I went on. So he gets to an apartment complex and uh, an 18-year-old woman, Sonia Larson and Christina Powell, who was 17, lived there. So these uh, two girls were roommates. They were both about to start their freshman year at the University of Florida. 17 and 18 years old. And they're so excited. Like, mm-hmm. school's about to start. You know, they're getting an apartment together. I don't think they knew each other before this because they had met in the summer. They were trying to get dorms. The dorms are all full. So they were like, let's get an off-campus apartment. Which, like, how fun would that be? You know? Like, I and, remember going and looking for apartments. Right. I you mean, know, your first when apartment. Little, little when is, you're younger. When you're little. Little baby. Um. But University of Florida is a well-known, very fun school. Like, that's, people say that, this is obviously a joke, but that if you go to University of Florida, you major in partying. Like, that's what, it's It's just a fun time, you know? Like, there's, yeah. I'm sure they take school seriously, but also fun will be had. And mm-hmm. it had to have been such an exciting time for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially being like, gosh, it's like, you're just starting out and you're just like, I'm getting an apartment off campus. Like, right. You feel like hot shit. Like, well, yeah. I don't know how it was in the late 1900s, honestly, but. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's if if it's changed since it's been so long. Did but. they have electricity then? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, my God. Um, we're a little hurt by people referring to the 90s as late 1900s, if you can't tell. Uh, as we should be. Uh, yeah, as we should be, my God. Yeah. Um, so they are moving into this. I mean, they had just moved into this apartment. Like the phones weren't even set up yet. Yeah, they had yeah, the hat they hadn't even set up the phones yet. So Danny follows them around. Um, he watches them through the windows of their apartment that night, as he does. And then in the early morning hours of the 24th, he used a screwdriver and his K-bar knife to gain entry through their back door. And this was his signature, like, the tools he used and his method. He would use a screwdriver in the K-bar, and he'd get into these houses. So when he goes in, what? Is it fair to say that the duct tape is a tool as well? Not oh, to get in, yeah, but yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He definitely yeah. has a whole kit, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so when he goes in, Christina is asleep on the couch. And he said that when he saw her there, he decided, like, she was the one he wanted, so he was going to leave her, save her for last, which is horrific. Um, so he goes upstairs. Sonia is asleep in her bed. 
And he attacks her as she's asleep. He covers her mouth with duct tape so that he can muffle her screams. He stabs her to death, um, keeping her quiet so that Christina wouldn't wake up. He does sexually assault her during this attack. Um, Then he goes back downstairs. Christina's still asleep on the couch. He wakes her up. He covers her mouth with duct tape. He binds her hands behind her back. And he takes all her clothes off and he rapes her as well. Um, He's got a knife to her throat while he does this. Then he turns her onto her stomach and he stabs her five times in her back. And just as he's done in Shreveport with Julie Grissom, he cleans them up. He poses them in a very provocative manner and he flees the scene. And I did also read somewhere that he may have had sex with Sonia's corpse again before he left. And he took a shower there. Isn't this is the house where he takes a shower, right? Or does so. he do it at all of them? So he's not he's not worried about he knows he's got plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And he's only watched them the one night. So how could he be sure that like nobody else lives there or something? But he takes well, his time. We're gonna talk about how that bites him right in the ass. Oh yeah, a for sure. A little bit. I mean, you know. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so that's August 23rd, early morning of 24th. The very next day, August 25th, he breaks into the home of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt. So Krista was a college student, and she worked part-time at the local sheriff's office as a clerk, and she actually worked overnight, the overnight shift. So he broke into her house, but she wasn't there. And instead of being like, oh, well, darn, and leaving, he just waits for her, which, again, could have totally gone any kind of way. Anybody could have come into that house. 
Oh, 100%. But it sounds, it's so reminiscent of the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she gets home at 11 in the morning, which if I, if I were getting home at 11 in the morning, I would feel very, very safe. Like, yeah. if you're getting home at like 11 at night by yourself, you'd kind of be like, I don't know. I would be. But like, if you're walking in the middle of the day, you're just like, everything's fine. You know, I would have, you typically don't have any idea that anything's going to happen to you anyway. But you know what I mean? Like, you're just certainly not expecting that 11 in the morning. Um, so he immediately, yeah, my guard would be down in the daytime. Like daylight makes you feel safer. Yeah, for sure. So he immediately, um, attacks her when she walks in the door, he put her in a chokehold and, uh, choked her unconscious. I don't know why I forgot the word. You just said it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Um, he again, bound her wrist. He, um, gags her. And he takes her clothing off. Uh, he raped Krista. And then he turns around to her stomach before he stabs her to death. He actually punctured her aorta. Um, and so she was dead within, I mean, instantly, essentially. Um, he cleaned up her body and he posed her also in a very provocative manner. This is different, though. Now, for whatever reason, he chooses to decapitate her and he places her head in a way where it looks like she's looking at her own body. And they said in the um, world's most evil killers that there are some people who, because I've heard of people doing things like that, but I didn't, I didn't really know. I'd never heard it explained like a possible why, but he said that some killers will do that because they almost have this feeling of like once they've killed somebody that they're not really dead. And so the act of separating the head from the body is like, you're sure. Mm. But then to have her look at her own, but like, and they also said that him posing them in this way is like kind of his souvenir. Um, he did cut off parts of some of their bodies and either just leave them places or take them with him as like a little souvenir, I guess. Um, but instead of like taking pictures so that he can remember it, he would pose them and that would kind of be his like mental snapshot so that he can continue. Don't you feel like, I mean, there's so so many similarities between the cell, the movie, and this case, like for him to pose the bodies and, and I'm also getting some like Ed Kemper vibes. Yep. Yeah. Co-ed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and kind of Ted Bundy. And he, there's a lot of similarities. Profiling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I guess that's why it's a thing, right? Um, Who knew? Exactly. Maybe the FBI is on to something. (laughs) Yeah. We should tell the FBI about this. Yeah. No, we totally should. There are similarities. (laughs) They need to be on to that. Yeah. Um, so at this point, he's killed three students within the span of 48 hours. I mean, that's a, you know, you usually have a period of time where they're coming down from the high of the kill. And, but this is like right one after the other. He's like hitting the ground running in the worst, worst, worst Exactly way. the worst way. So by August 26th, Christina and Sonia's parents have become very concerned. They hadn't heard from either of the girls in several days. This is very uncharacteristic. Like Tori said, the phones had not yet been installed in this apartment, um, so they couldn't call. So Sonia's parents talked to Christina's parents, 
who agreed, like, let's go. Um, they'll, Christina's parents said, we'll go to the apartment. We live closer. So they get there and there's no answer at the door. And they asked a maintenance worker for help. He called police to accompany him and his manager into the apartment. When he goes in, the maintenance worker, he breaks down the door. The manager goes in and then the police officers go in and then Christina's parents go in too. (sighs) They see Christina's body first and the maintenance man ran back out of the apartment. He's screaming and then he just throws up everywhere. And he passed Christina's parents as he, like, ran out of the apartment. Um, I cannot imagine what her parents were. I think they already obviously had an idea, like, there's something wrong. But when you see the person who went into the apartment first have that reaction coming out, I I just can't even imagine. No. Um, As investigators come through the apartment after finding Christina and Sonia's bodies, they found that the door had been pried open with a screwdriver. And they could tell that both girls had their mouths and hands duct taped, but the tape had been removed and taken from the scene, likely to avoid leaving DNA. This is one thing that Danny Rowling, you know, they they say he he ends up being diagnosed with some some different mental illnesses. Um, They also say that his like maturity level and intelligence level kind of stopped in the teenage years sort of thing. Um, He certainly knew enough not to leave DNA behind. Well, I mean, who knows what he picked up from his dad? That's true. But he definitely, he, there was some planning involved in this. Like, 100%. Yeah. Um, The following day on the 27th, Christina Hoyt didn't show up for her shift at the sheriff's office. And this is, again, extremely unlike her. So two officers were sent to her home and they entered, they found her dead. Her body has been mutilated. It's a horrific scene. And I just have to say real quick, these, I'm sure, sweet, precious souls that have been lost, they're so young. I am so in awe of their maturity to to take on the Christina and Sonia having their own apartment, dealing with that at such young ages, 18 and 17. And then Krista, to it's unlike her to not show up to work. Like, they seem to, all of them seem to be like such big go-getters. And it's just, again, all the time, it's so sad to see somebody snuffed out before yeah. they had a chance to to do what they could have accomplished. Like, I don't know, it exactly. just makes me sad. Yeah. And, and like the twisted you add that layer of because this person felt like he couldn't accomplish anything. So this is his, like, I found my thing I'm going to accomplish and it's murdering. (sighs) Like just so he can feel better about himself. Pick up cross stitching. My God. Exactly. Come on. And the community at this point is absolutely horrified. I mean, this is three young women. They've been brutally murdered in their own homes And this is a very short period of time. I mean, it's terrifying. And police had absolutely no idea was behind the murders. So they had identified that the three murders were likely committed by the same person based off the crime scenes and how it appeared that things had happened. The three girls also looked very similar. They were all young, petite brunettes. 
Police were looking at every lead they had coming in, hoping to stop the murderer again, or stop the murderer before he struck again. But unfortunately, they were not able to find this man um, before another murder occurred. The same day that Krista Hoyt was found beheaded in her home, so this is just a day, the day after she's murdered because she didn't show up to work, remember? So again, we're it's still just like bang, bang, bang. Um, Danny Rowling breaks in through the sliding door of an apartment not far from his campsite in the woods. When he entered the apartment, he was expecting to just find 23-year-old Tracy Pauls, but instead he found that Tracy's roommate, 23-year-old Manuel, who went by Manny Taboda, was home as well. And Manny was asleep, and when Rowling entered the home, he encounters Manny and just begins stabbing him. Um, Manny woke up. And he fought back, um, and this caused a lot of noise. So Tracy wakes up, and she actually goes to see what the noise is, um, and she sees Manny being stabbed by Danny Rowling. So she runs back down the hallway, and she locks herself in her bedroom, but he broke the door down, and he puts duct tape over her mouth, again, tapes her hands behind her back. He raped her, and then he turned her over on her stomach. I don't know why that really, like, burns my bucket so much, but it's like... That he turns them over on their stomachs? Yeah, because he can't, he can't have them look at him. Like, it's like he can't face it. Well, yeah, because he's a coward. Exactly. It's, yeah. I don't know, it just, like, I hate him. And he stabs her three times in the back, which kills her. He cleaned her body. He posed it before leaving. And the bodies of Manny and Tracy were found the next day on the 28th. And... Manny was a big guy. I mean, he was what, six three or so, six two, six so. three. Yeah. Um, he is a very active guy. He's strong. Like, I mean, but Danny got the jump on him. And Tracy had already felt uneasy that night. This is just like the saddest because she felt uneasy that night and told who well, it was like her parents or one of her friends or something that she's like, if Manny doesn't get home soon, I'm going to, I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. Like, I don't want to stay here by myself tonight. Right. And then he came home and yeah, she's like, home. yeah. And she's like, okay, well now I feel safe. Like Manny's here. I feel protected. And of course he did everything he could to protect both of them. But when you're asleep and you've been stabbed multiple times, I mean, right. my gosh. Um, so now we have five murders that have taken place within two miles of one another. They're all around the University of Florida campus, and the school did cancel classes, and people were not going anywhere alone at all. Students were even sleeping, were even sleeping in shifts, so someone was awake at all times. I can imagine the terror. Thousands of students left campus and went back home. Um, frightened that they might be the next victim of the now-dubbed Gainesville Ripper. We got to think of a better name than that. Yeah. Better in the sense that it doesn't sound cool. Like, that's what, yes. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. That's exactly what I meant. Because I'll be damned if he gets called the Gainesville Ripper and he maybe he thinks that's cool. Exactly. It sounds like something out of a horror movie and, like, what you want is the, the... I don't know. I'll have to think about it. You guys drop what you think he should be called in the comments. Something that is um, not fun for him. Yeah. Roast him. Roast his ass. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go off on Danny Rolling. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. On August 28th, a nearby First Union Bank branch was the victim of an armed robbery. On the same day, police came across two men who were walking nearby the school campus and they were acting sus, as mm. the kids say. Yep, totally sus. So the police followed the two men into a wooded area where they came across a small campsite and one of the men was apprehended. The other one ran away. He was able to escape. Um... I don't know. I He's a coward for lots of reasons, but now I'm just looking for reasons. Like, I get it because he doesn't want to be caught, I guess. But I'm also like, what a little bitch. I know, Like, exactly. he's just like, no, and just yeah. runs away. Like, get over yourself. Oh, what was that over there? Bye. Like, exactly. <laughs> what, a, what a freaking, ugh, I hate this guy. Rowling was the one who escaped. Yep, yep. Spoiler alert, that's who it was. Yeah. So, The one in custody was a small-time drug dealer, and inside of the ca uh, the tent at the campsite, they found several sus things. Mm -hmm. There was cash covered in a pinkish-red dye, a gun that matched the description of the weapon used in the first Union Bank robbery. They also found a ski mask, a pair of pants, and pubic hairs on both of those things. So anyway... Um, Police believed that based on everything they found in this tent, they had found the man responsible for the armed robbery. On August 30th, the investigators identified a top suspect in the Gainesville murders. This is 18-year-old University of Florida freshman Ed Humphrey. He had a history of mental illness, and he was recently charged with assault for beating up his 79-year-old grandmother. Why? Yeah. He had also had a history of being out outwardly aggressive towards others and while in custody for the assault of his grandmother and during his trial he exhibited some really bizarre behavior he was loud he was erratic and a lot of this is due to the fact that he was off of his medication at the time he had a history of brain injuries and seemed very out of control and humphrey's grandmother she didn't want to press charges against him for the assault but the state was like uh ha ha we're gonna do it anyway because they wanted to keep him in custody while they were trying to build a concrete connection between Humphreys and the murders. Yeah. I mean, it it makes sense why they thought he might be good for it, just like with his aggressive behavior. And apparently he also lived in the same apartment building as two of the victims. Mm -hmm. You know, he's in the he's in the same vicinity and all that, but I just yeah. I mean, wrong. he's He did some unsavory things that I don't agree with. Don't beat up 79-year-old grandmothers. Like, come on. No, and with the... um, I know that some brain injuries can... Like, I worked with a woman whose son had a traumatic brain injury when he was like... I think he was 12 years old. 
And before that, he was a very kind and gentle child. And after that, he was hitting them very often. And he was very violent and aggressive and erratic in his behavior and stuff like that. So I know that that can definitely lead to some things, but I don't know. It also kind of just like, it frustrates me a little bit that she didn't want to press charges and they did. And I'm fine with that because, you know, he, he shouldn't assault her. Like, okay, fine. But in so At the many, end of the day, he did something wrong. Yeah. But in so many domestic violence situations, they put the onus of that on the victim. And that person, I don't know. There's there's so many things that go into that too. Like it's it's dangerous for them no matter where it no matter what happens, essentially. But I think of like a Gabby Petito situation where had they gone ahead and har- arrested him, where would we be right now? Like right. Yeah. I don't know. Because they it's can just... do it. They just most of the time seems like choose not to. Right. I don't know. So Humphrey's bail was set at $1 million, which is an astronomical amount, especially in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. And they took DNA samples from Humphrey to compare with what they found at the murder scenes. But while while this was going on, investigators felt unsure if the drug dealer they'd apprehended at the campsite in the woods was behind the first Union armed robbery. Um, He denied that any of the things found at the site or in the tent belonged to him. In early December... Danny Rowling stole a car and drove Tampa. Drove September. to Tampa. What did I say? December. Jeez, why do I suck so bad at months of the year? The, anyway. I, I know a song that I can teach you about it if you want. I don't need that. Thank you very much. I don't need that. Um, I can, I do myself. I can do this. Do not help me. So in early September... Rolling solo car and drove to Tampa, Florida. He robbed a convenience store at gunpoint. And then five days later, he attempted to rob a Winn-Dixie in Ocala. And he was unable to escape because police got the jump on him. And he was taken into custody. Ha <laughs> ha. That's all I have to say about that. Ha <laughs> All right. So back in Gainesville, investigators found out that Humphrey's DNA did not match what they found at the sites of the Gainesville murders. So he was cleared as a suspect. And investigators in Ocala tracked the serial number on the gun used by Danny Rowling in the robbery of the Winn-Dixie. They traced it back to the owner who lived three hours away in Sarasota. So they go and talk to this guy. And he says that he'd sold the gun for cash to a man that was just passing through. He didn't know him, didn't seem to live there, all those things. He was unable to give much of a description of the person that bought the gun from him, but he did have one distinctive attribute. He was missing a big piece of one of his fingers. Just gone. Mm, so, clean off. Clean off. So while this is going on, there's a task force meeting for the first Union Bank robbery. And one agent was recounting the story that this man in Sarasota had told him about who bought the gun from him. And he says, you know, the man says this guy is missing part of his finger. And this one officer stands up and he's like, oh, shit. I have something to tell you. So he's like, all right, you guys listen. At the scene of the first Gainesville murder site scene. Crime scene. Crime scene. Um, This is Christina and Sonia's apartment. (sighs) I hate this. They found a piece of paper towel on the kitchen counter. And on one side, 
this is so detailed. I just don't understand. On one side, there's an imprint of a penis on on the paper towel. So it's like, I'm assuming in jizz. Oh, or blood. Or blood or, yeah, some kind of a bodily fluid because whoever is using this paper towel has is wiping himself after whatever he's done. But mm. but how you can clearly see the imprint of the penis, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, that was there. But on the other side of that paper towel, so presumably you've got your paper towel here. You have your hand on one side, your dick on the other, right? So your hand is here and he's... And you're like... Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, but, but, right. Like it's, and then, so on this side where he's pressing it into when he's wiping, there's an imprint of you can see the fingers, but one of them is missing. Uh oh. So here's the situation. Now, we've talked about the fact that Danny Rowling has an MO of he raped his victims. And I, I heard the words and I know what that means. And I accept that that happened. But when we talk about him wiping his dick off after, I, it makes it, I feel like, I'm glad that they had it because what did it do for them? This is a great piece of evidence. I don't want to think about it. Just for personal reasons, I don't want to think about it's, his. It's very unsettling. His pecker. But at all. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's very unsettling. Yeah. Just pull your pants up and go on. I don't know. I just... But again, thank you for doing it. But Exactly. So now they know that the bank robber and the Gainesville Ripper, they're the same man. Um, Except that they just didn't know who that man was. But they knew they were the same. Just now we got to find the man. So the crime lab starts reexamining all of the items found at the campsite in comparison to everything they found at the murder scenes. The ski mask in the tent had fibers on it that matched fibers found on the duct tape at the home of Tracy and Manny. Pubic hairs matching Christina, or I'm sorry, Krista Hoyt were found on the sleeping bag. There was blood on a pair of pants that matched the blood of Manny. A screwdriver was found that matched the marks left at the murder scenes where access to the homes was gained using the screwdriver. With the five murders in Gainesville having gained so much public attention, officers in Shreveport noticed that there were similarities in the Gainesville murders and the still unsolved triple murder of the Grissoms. So they go to the task force and they're like, hey guys, this is what we have. What do you got? So investigators, once they compare these two, now they believe the man behind the murders in the bank robbery had either fled or was in prison since, like, after this, there have been no other crimes. So they're like, why would he stop all of a sudden? I mean, he was like, day, 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 like, murders each day, and now there's just radio silence, so something's going on. Um, They made the decision to test the DNA of all inmates in Florida who'd been arrested in the last three to four months. Good for them, man. Smarty pants. Yes. And on January 24th, 1991, testing revealed that the DNA found at the murder scenes matched an inmate who was in jail for a grocery store robbery, 36-year-old Danny Rowling. And you know what? You would, one would think, isn't like, isn't robbing banks and grocery stores like just really, 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 really increasing the likelihood that you're going to get caught? You would think so. If he hadn't been doing those robberies, 
I don't know when he would have been caught. Right. Absolutely. But he just it, it, can't get it, it, It's not smart, but it bought him some time to do it in a different county or different city because, you know, they had no way of knowing like, oh, well, what about that guy? Until they did. But still, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I've never, I don't know about all of the bank and grocery store robberies in the world, but I would think banks for sure. It's like, that's a tough one to get away with. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I would, I don't think that you should ever do anything like that, but you can be guaranteed to know that I will never do anything like that. Like, I don't know. Mm-mm. So Danny Rowling was brought in to be questioned by investigators about the murders. He was extremely nervous during the interview. And when the detective offered to show him photos from the crime scene, this pisses me off. He wouldn't look at him. He said that he did not want to see them. Why? You took so much pleasure in doing it. Imposing even- them and staying there for plenty of time afterwards. Yeah. You, we know you took a mental snapshot of it. Like, you can't look at him now. So ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. on September 18th, 1991, Rowling was convicted of three counts of attempted armed robbery and two counts of aggravated assault of law enforcement. He was sentenced to life in prison. On November 15th, 1991, a grand jury indicted Rowling on five counts of first-degree murder, burglary, and sexual assault. He pleaded not guilty to all of the charges. Mm-hmm idiot. Um, he pleaded guilty to all or pleaded not guilty to all the charges, but began to give confessions and details through another inmate. And the inmate gave all of this information to investigators. So now he's got this go between, right? Where he's like, and if you'll refer to my friend here, he will answer all questions for me. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then finally, Danny Rowling started talking to investigators directly and he blamed all of his actions on a personality disorder. He listed a couple different personalities. Um, I can't, what was the one named? It was like, not Diablo, but it was something like that. It was very, he said he was kind of like a Jesse James type of personality. Oh, yeah. I don't remember yeah. the name of it. Yeah. He he named a few different ones. Yeah. He he's like, this one is like this and this one is like that. But he said the, the one that was responsible for all of the murders was Gemini. And nobody really believed what he was saying about these different personalities. So while he was in prison in Florida State Prison, Danny began exchanging letters with a freelance reporter and writer whose name is Sandra London. London had recently published a book that was a collection of stories and drawings from Gerald John Schaefer, who was a former police officer who'd confessed to more than 30 murders. Rowling had seen London's work and asked if she would tell his story. London said that during the exchange or their exchange of letters, after about eight or nine months, they gradually developed feelings for each other. Um, and he confessed his love for her and sent her romantic poems. London tried to visit Rowling several times, but she was denied for differing reasons. They told her that their friendship was absolutely not going to lead to marriage. And finally, they decided to just go ahead and just get hitched anyway. But the jail told them that they could not do it in person. They remained engaged as London obtained a special visitor's pass from an officer at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And she finally met her fiancé for the first time. And she described her first impression of him. This, she's a quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what she says, like, now. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Funny how things change. Ugh. Mm-hmm. She said, baby, things change. I'm doing Dwight Yoakam. Oh, 
quote, I thought he was a real cornball. My first impression is that he must be some kind of yokel. I learned later that Rowling had very little sense of who he really is. So for him to manifest, he has to put on a costume of something. I thought he was crazy and schizophrenic probably. But she wanted to marry him. I thought he was ridiculous and corny and blah, 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 blah. No, you didn't. And crazy and yeah. yeah. What did what did she say about him back in the nineties? Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm so glad so, this paragraph fell on you because you know I can't say this. Yeah. So in the nineties, she told press that she immediately had a physical attraction to Danny Rowling. She said that she knew she loved him, and she described him as a gorgeous hunk and a dangerous kitty cat. Wait, it's pussy cat actually. Sorry. A dangerous pussycat. Why would you? That doesn't even make any sense to me. I don't. I mean, I know there's the song, What's New, you know. But it's nothing about, about it being dangerous. Yeah, I don't get, I don't get that. Anyway, that's what she called him. Like, uh, is that supposed to be like he's a dangerous cat? Like, he's a cool cat. He's a, is that what she But isn't that like an oxymoron? Like, I don't know. I mean, I know cats can be very dangerous. We both know that. Oh, absolutely. My friend still has scars on her back from Jinx. Like, the noises that they make when they're angry, scary as hell. I mean, this cat would just wait in the corner on a shelf, and she'd come out of the bathroom from the shower, and he'd just and get her. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, remember, Tom, our grandmother uh, or our grandparents and great-grandmother, they had an assortment of Tom's. Yes. A couple cats, every, all of them named Tom. And one of them would hide underneath the little like butcher table block thing. Remember? I remember and that. And just, just yeah. swipe you and attack you. Yeah, he was mean. He was such a little shit. Yeah. He was very mean. Yes. Yeah. It's just an but interesting, anyway. yeah, way to put it. Yeah, I don't know. It's It just, it sounds to me like it's like, oh, well, he was a devilish angel. It's like, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. That's not the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, but of course, um, no matter what she felt about him then or now, their relationship did not last. No. So one time during a court hearing for a robbery that Danny Rowling was charged with, when given an opportunity to an opportunity to speak to the judge um, or to speak by the judge, excuse me, Rowling began to serenade London with a song he'd written just for her. In 1996, see, I don't want anybody to serenade anything to me because that makes me awkward. Like, I don't know, but what do you do with your hands? But also to sit and watch somebody else get serenaded to, that's awkward. None of it. Um, in 1996, after London released her book about Rowling and his crimes, the couple's relationship ended. Yes. I don't know who saw that coming, right? They, they didn't make it, but they did remain friends. And now London says that she does not miss her one-time fiance. Okay. In February of 1994, this is just days before Rowling was scheduled to go on trial for the murder charges, he decided to plead guilty to the murders, rapes, and burglaries. And on February 15th, the guilty plea was announced in court. On March 24th, 12 jurors unanimously agreed or recommended the death penalty. On April 20th, 1994, the judge sentenced 39-year-old Rowling to death. Rowling and his lawyers appealed his death sentence for the next 12 years until the very end. The day before his scheduled execution, his last appeal was turned down. And on that same evening, Rowling wrote a statement confessing to the Grissom triple murders in Shreveport. And he had never before confessed to those murders. On October 12th, 2006, Rowling was put to death by lethal injection at the age of 52. His last meal consisted of a lobster tail with butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, 
a baked potato with sour cream and butter. It's best with lots of butter. Mm-hmm. And strawberry cheesecake and a sweet tea. In 1996, Kevin Williamson said that the story of the Gainesville Ripper was part of what inspired his script for the blockbuster horror movie franchise Torella's favorite, Scream. So scary. (laughs) So that's that's all she wrote, guys. That's all she wrote. Um, We'll be back next week with our next case. Make sure you let us know what you think his name should be because Gainesville Ripper sounds like something you'd hear in a horror movie, which sounds like kind of glorifying so Gainesville think about it I gotta have to think about it goon keeps coming to mind but that's not I don't know Gainesville goon I don't know yeah I do love the word you guys will come up with something better so let us know yes 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 but we love you love you guys so much and uh thank you so much for listening bye bye all right, you guys, it's shout-out time. Shout-out time. Oh, okay. You are a, a, a singing songbird. shit today. Oh, okay. I like songbird better. I don't like singing shit. <laughs> I wanted to, like, say something mean to you, but I couldn't think of anything, and so I thought alliteration is the way to go. And singing shit was all I could think of. So that really was an insult to my own self, wasn't it? <laughs> Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, well, enough about that. So what we're getting at here is it's the time of the episode where we thank you by butchering your entire name. Yes. And it's a weird, some might say it's a weird way to say thank you, but it's just the way we do it, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, hey, girl, thanks to our newest patrons, Sam Longfellow, Nicole Langlands, Shasta Quinn, Lindsay Moreau, Brandy Thompson, Marlena Bem, Rain, Morgan DeMumbran, Sally West, Autumn Lauer, Randy Carlson, Ashley Davis, Caitlin, uh oh, Caitlin Toria, Depixie. Okay, we'll say that. Cheyenne Evans. Arissa Snoblin. Grace Barnes. Becca Hicks. Mandy. Rachel Souders. Eva Martinez. Tiffany Suter. And Ashley Graham. Oh my God, thank you guys so much. We love you. We could not do this without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want your name just completely and utterly butchered, then make sure you join our Patreon at the $10 level or higher. Yay, we love you. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. Can I just tell you? Yeah. I recently, because in several cases we read about pubic hairs, like they're part of a case. Um, And I got to thinking the other day, I'm like, why do we have pubic hair? Like, because our eyelashes, I, I know that they serve a very distinct purpose. They're protecting your eyeballs. That's exactly and, what pubic hair does. Yeah, but I was like, does our 
does our puby areas need that much protection? But yeah, I guess. And, but the other reason, Tori, and this really grossed me out. Oh, the no. other reason that we have them. So one is to protect your uh, your gonads and whatnot from <laughs> bacterias and danger things, I guess, whatever. Sure, 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 sure. The other thing is to reduce friction during sex. So, and this is what the article said, and it was disgusting. Oh, okay. It said, hair against hair is less uncomfortable than skin against skin rubbing. I disagree. I didn't like anything about that. I was like, Bleh. I don't want to, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have started taking, I've, I've taken to shaving my arms. And when oh, I rub sure. my finger, you know, like if I'm like, you know, oh, do I need to shave again? That doesn't feel great when it's like kind of coming back in, you know? So I'm guessing that wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know. What if you get your, your twisties in a tangle. Sure. I mean, I guess it depends on how long. I don't want to have this conversation anymore. And we're not, we're not pube shamers. Whatever you do with your pubes, that's fine. That's fine. It's just, I just looked it up and I just thought just the reading the sentence that hair rubbing against hair. I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. I'll say this right now. I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently I don't know why we talked about... Yes, I do know why we talked about it. She's disgusted by different sorts of milks. She's got um, severe dairy preferences. Um, and that's fine. But she found out that feta cheese is made out of either goats, sheep, or cow's milk, or sometimes a combination. And now she can't eat it anymore because it really grosses her out about goat's milk. I don't care. If I like whatever it is, and then I'm like, oh, it's made out of whatever milk, fine by me. Like... I don't care. Milk's milk, right? Um, then she was like, wait, are there, do, do you think other animals have milk? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> she was like, do you think ferrets have milk? Yeah. <laughs> Rats have milk. Yeah. Um, whales. Whales have milk. And then she looked at, Torella, she looked it up. Do you know that whales have mammary slits? I never want, I can't believe I said it out loud, slits. I don't like that, but at all. What's a slit for your mammary? I don't know. (laughs) Does it tuck back, you tuck it in? And then when you have the baby after whales, their gestation period is so long. It's like 14 months. And then after that, they're like, let me just pull out my boob. I don't know. I don't know. But they're called mammary slits. And I found out about this. And if I know it, then you're going to know it too. And I don't like it. I don't like that either. No. All right. And I also found out during this conversation that elephants are the only mammals that I know of. There might be more. But the only ones that I know of that have front boobs and not back boob udder type of situations. I didn't know that either. I got them right behind Joe. Interesting. I know. All right. Well, good to know. (laughs) Anyway. That was a little lesson in science and animals for everybody. We're very scientific over here. Yeah. Yeah. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 